much bigger than you. Just stop, look, listen, see, hear, and be inspired. You, us, we. We are all part of God's started movement that is growing larger and faster than any other time in human history. It started with Jesus. And right now, there's nearly two billion of us around the world. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you sense the growing move of God as never seen before? From a small rural village in Peru to the boundless energy of New York City, from the slums of Calcutta to the suburbs of Nairobi, from basements in Riyadh to high rises in Hong Kong, from Toronto to Tokyo, from Manchester to Moscow, from cities in Thailand to the steppes in Tibet, God, God is on the move. Each person, each church, connected to Jesus himself by the call of God the Father and filled by the fire of the Holy Spirit. All of us from every tribe, every tongue, every family, every nation, born of God and now together working with God to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it really is in heaven. As Paul wrote so long ago in Ephesians 2.21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. See, we really are all in this together. We at C4 Church have been given a small part of God's grand move around the world. We've been called to reach 10,000 people physically, emotionally, mentally, and of course spiritually. It may seem big and it's also small, but we believe, we've kept on believing, we've been praying as a community, and God has actually been answering our prayers. Last year was our highest average attendance in five years. Teens, young adults, adults, kids, more and more coming and meeting Jesus and, and being changed. Not only have we been growing numerically, we've been growing financially. For the last three years, we've seen increases year after year, and last year was our highest amount of giving, which is always a sign of growth and vision and connection. And even more amazing, more significant, I think, to all of us, we've had 62 people baptized in the last 13 months. See, that's the real sign of growth. That's the real sign of the move of God. It's real renewal, people being changed, their lives publicly and privately being oriented towards Jesus and, and what he's about around the world. 62 baptisms, hear that. That's 62 people and we all got to be part of their journey and now they're part of us. See, that's a small version of what's going on globally. And, and let me say it again, we're all in this together. Every time you see this in a church, you know, you know this is God because this isn't natural. Each story of personal renewal is a sign that Jesus is drawing close. We've been praying as a congregation for revival, and let me switch it up this way. We no longer need to pray for revival. See, this is revival. What we now need to do is pray that it keeps happening. It grows larger and larger, like waves in a tide coming closer and larger and stronger. See, see, when you have people confessing sin and you have people converting and you have people getting baptized and a church is becoming generous, that actually is revival. So now, let's keep praying that it happens across everyone in our church. I'm so proud to be part of this church and so inspired by what we've all done together. And I just want to say a huge thank you. Were you here last Easter? Do you remember that amazing day? 
so many of us more than before prayed that God would move and that people would come and hear the good news. Then we invited and we were expectant. And people came, friends, relatives, strangers, enemies. They all came and the church was packed. We couldn't fit any more people in. We needed more chairs. People were giving up their seats. There was vibrant worship and there was a clear, unashamed preaching of God's word. It was color for a gray world. See, that Easter, from morning to evening, we got it. We're really in this together. Actually, I think we got a glimpse of what is to come. That Sunday is our coming new normal. See, the future things are actually happening now. Things are growing. And yes, it's going to be exciting and powerful and life-changing, but it's going to be full of growth pains. But we're all in this together, right? We're all willing to be more flexible, right? Because of what's really happening. Like, this is about people. This is about eternity. This is about heaven and hell. Like, we're ready to do anything it takes to see that experience happen every Sunday because we're really all in this together. By ourselves, we can do some things, but not huge things. But together, we can do grand things, significant things, powerful things. And of course, when God is in the mix, He says that we can ask for the impossible and He can make the impossible possible. But see, it comes down to that theme, actually the theme for our year, that we're really all in this together, that we're all working together, open together, and expected that God is going to do this. I want to be part of a church that's doing biblical community, like really involved in each other's lives. I, I want to be part of a church where people serve radically. I, I want to be part of a church that gives generously, that's countercultural. I want to be part of a church that invites courageously, that isn't ashamed of the gospel and expects God to show up. I want to be part of a church that actually reflects what the Bible says. I want to be part of a church that says, yes, we're all in this together. I mean, we really are. With our money, our time, our lives, our kids, our families, and we're really willing to do anything it takes. And to, to acknowledge it's not just us, it's what God is doing globally. Why would we not want to be involved in something so profound, so beautiful, so life-giving? If we're going to be in this together, then really let's get to the point where we go, yes, yes, we're going to do this and we're going to keep on doing this. We believe that God is on the move around the world and God is on the move in Toronto and God is on the move in Durham. And yes, God's on the move right in our own church. So let's do this together. Let, let's step out in ways we've never done before so God can get glorified and we can see things happen we've only imagined about and now can actually become reality. What God's doing around the world, what God's doing in your life, what God is doing in our own church, we're really all in this together. I want to say uh, good morning to you, good morning to many of you watching online, and I know we just clap, but honestly, aren't you encouraged this morning to be part of a church like this? It's unbelievable. So encouraged. And so encouraged, too, by the reminder that it's not just about C4 Church, but we are part of a family that is so diverse and it's growing, and it cannot be stopped because God is sovereign and he's doing his thing around the world. 
Let me repeat what I just said in that video. By ourselves, we can do a few things. Together, we can achieve large things. But uh, with God, we we can achieve achieve all things. I want to say this also again. I want to be part of a local church that does biblical community. I want to be part of a church that serves radically, that gives sacrificially, worships passionately, prays expectantly, and invites people courageously. And I want to declare this morning, I am part of a church like that already. We are not waiting for this to happen. It has begun. And if there is one passage that I want to start this whole theme for this whole year, that we're all in this together, if there's one passage that summarizes what God has done over the last few years, if there's one passage that actually transcends even our own church in time, culture, and race, and age, if there's one passage that can mark a church and must mark a church and must define each local church and guide and inspire it is one that we've preached on so many times, but it's been a while. It's found in Acts chapter 2. And so I'd like you to greet your Bible this morning physically, virtually. We're good either way. And I want you to turn there. Now, some of you have done church for a while and say, oh, I've heard so many messages on this. No, God is going to speak fresh again today. Are you expectant to hear his voice? Because this word is a living word. If you had the chance in the next 24 hours to read the first two chapters of the book of Acts, you would see what we just saw in our video in that time. In Acts chapter 1, we see God's very move. In Acts chapter 2, we see God's very message. And then we see by the end of chapter 2 that God's message and move is now moved into a community. Jesus' words have not only been the inspiration and the foundation of our movement, they actually are still empowered. Jesus gathered with groups of people just like us 2,000 years ago. And this is what he declared to the very first church, and he's declared to every church in every generation, for actually, we really are only one church. Acts 1.8 reads like this, but you, you could put in there, you together will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine Paul showing up today and seeing how the gospel is spread? Wouldn't he be amazed And also, he would say, of course, because this is what God promised. And here's the amazing thing. Notice it. Jesus says to us that the same power that was upon him, that allowed him to do ministry, is on every single one of us. The same power of God on us. And with that power, we are also given one message. Peter, preaching the very first Christian sermon, outlined the gospel this way. In Acts 2.38, it reads, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. There's one of the best summaries of our message as Christians and the promises of our God. And if you have read this story carefully and Peter preached this story, you actually know what happens. When he gave a call for people to testify and say yes to Jesus... Many, many were called, and many believed, and many were filled with the Spirit of God. And after they believed the message, and Jesus moved in, then they were baptized. It says in Acts 2.41, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. 3,000 were added to their number that very day. A church in New York tweeted this this week. Community, they said, grows naturally out of shared experience. 
And the more intense the experience, the more intense the community you will have. See, when Jesus moves into a life, there is nothing more intense and more unifying than him. And so I want to start this year by saying Christian community at its core grows out of and is most intense when we mutually share Jesus and his work in our life with each other. That is why we can say, unlike any other movement on earth, this goes beyond politics and race and gender and background, we can say with authenticity at the deepest level, we are all in this together because we are united together in Jesus himself. Out of that great empowered statement by Jesus that the Spirit of God would come on the church, Peter stands up, a grade two educated fisherman, and preaches this message in 3,000 except Christ in day one. Out of that is birthed a community called the church, which we are the great, great times whatever grandchildren of. Here afresh for the first time or all over again, the description of that church. Because that church needs to be our church and every church, Baptist, Pentecostal, Anglican, brethren, you fill in the blank. Every church needs to become like this. It says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and, and breaking of bread and, and prayer. Everyone was filled with, with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God. They enjoyed the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There are three characteristics of this early church that every church, including ours, must be marked by. It's like a three-legged stool. If you are missing one of the legs, you become lopsided. If you're missing two, you fall right over. Here are the three things we see in this passage. Devotion, awe, and action. Devotion, awe, and action. Now, let's do this like kindergarten. Can you say this with me? Okay. Devotion. No, no, that's not a devoted way of saying it. Okay. Devotion. Good. Awe. Action. This. This marks this church in such a way that people that had nothing to do with the movement became deeply intrigued. Devotion is such a strong word, such a powerful word. They were loyal, they were keen, they were dedicated, they were faithful, they were committed, they were continually faithful into this new community. This community and its master and its calling and its time took priority in their life. They didn't do one out of six Sundays. Church wasn't optional with sports. No, no. God's people and God's move became priority because they realized everything else in the end passes except the people of God. Let me put it in a positive way. Expect your faith to flourish. Expect your children to intently watch, let alone follow the God you have met. Expect comfort and support in times of trauma. Expect community as a high priority. And if you do, you and your children will not become insulated and secular or misguided or given to the cultural lie of radical individualism. If you choose to make his community and devote yourself to the moves of God, you and we together will more and more look like our spiritual great-grandparents. Their heart and their experiences and their passion will also be ours. 
There are always things that will get in the way. Sports, children growing up, travel, sleep, work. And in moderation, it's all good. It's fine. We need flexibility. But if it moves you away from a radical commitment and devotion to God and his community, in the end, it will deeply hurt your walk, your family's walk, and it will hurt your witness. What were they devoted to? This community that was so radically changed within a 24-hour period, what was the outworking of God's real presence among them? If I go to any church on earth, how do I know something is going right? Well, it's interesting. They were devoted to four things. Teaching, community, communion, breaking of bread, and prayer. There was something intentional, intense, beautiful, exciting to them about these things. They were people marked by teaching. They understood that they lived in a world like we do where there are a million views, but many are wrong. And they began to understand that they needed to live with and under God's written word, that it would become the ultimate authority for faith and life and practice. Now we have the apostles' teaching summed up fully in the scriptures. They were people of the book. They were people of God's living word. But never forget, they did not just read it privately, because they couldn't. They read it together. This idea of teaching is so significant, so we continue to follow what God has already taught us. They were marked and devoted by one thing, the teaching of God's word. Not only that, they were marked by fellowship. Fellowship is a churchy word now, but it really means that bond every Christian has with another on earth. I was lecturing a few weeks ago, and I was talking about this. Have you ever been near a Christian who you'd never met, and you just knew they were a Christian? Anyone raise your hand. You know, they don't even say anything. It's sort of like you, you walk by, and you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. And they look at you, and then you draw the Jesus fish together, and then you, right, right? You know what I'm talking about. You could be in an airport, or in an airplane, or on the go train, and you just instinctually know. You go, mm, I, I wonder. See, we have fellowship. A devoted commitment to other Christians because we understand you can't have Jesus without his body. Our movement is not individual. It's a together thing. They were devoted to God's word, letting it form them and own them and transform them. They were devoted to community in the good times and in the bad times. Not only were they involved in that, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Jesus, just before he would die, right, took bread and ripped it, and he said, my body is going to be broken. And then he took a cup of wine and said, and this is my blood, a new covenant. See, they knew that this was the great symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection. They knew it was their great symbol of forgiveness. They knew that this symbol was proclaiming that death didn't win, and Satan no longer owns us, and sin no longer has power over us. And not only that, they knew with their heart of hearts that this communion act, this Eucharist, Thanksgiving, this Lord's table was also a declaration that one day we will see Jesus face to face and we'll never do it again because we're going to actually eat with him. Can you wait for that day? I'm excited. And not only that, it was a grander declaration. It was a declaration that there was no room anymore for racism in the church or economic disparaging in the church. Why? Because we are in this together because we are all equal before the cross. 
Communion reminds us we have different gifts, different authority, different roles. But before the living God at the end of the day, God welcomes all people home that will repent and say yes to Jesus. And he forms a family that cannot be formed by politics, cannot be formed by war, cannot be formed by theology or religion or sociology because he, God, brings us together unnaturally. Don't you agree? Communion They devoted themselves. Me as evangelicals rarely think about devotion to communion. But understand, this nourishes your soul because it is the great reminder of everything that we are. You should run towards communion every time it's served. They devoted themselves to teaching. They were excited about fellowship even in the difficult times. They took communion in their homes and also together. And then they were people of what? Prayer. If there was one thing that marked this community, oh, did they pray. They prayed privately and they prayed publicly. They prayed liturgical prayers and they prayed free prayers. They prayed with passion and they prayed with expectancy because they actually knew that God would answer their prayers. Unlike every other movement on earth, Christians started praying and saying, our Father who's in heaven, Daddy, we get to enter your presence without any fear because of our high priest Jesus. They came confidently and boldly. They were marked with a confidence that is lacking still much in our own church because they believed that God, what he said, was true, and when they prayed, they believed he was going to answer. They were marked by prayer, and people couldn't believe the radical nature of their prayer, but they knew their God was not dead. They knew God was alive. They knew he was present. They were devoted. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer, these are the things that marked this community together, but there was more. This community was marked by something else that you cannot invent. It was called awe. Awe. This first church knew God was among them. They knew it. It wasn't something they conjured up. It went way beyond sermons. They sensed God. They felt God. They knew God. They saw God transforming people all around them. This was not just for Christians. The inference in the text is that Christians and non-Christians were in awe. It says that everyone was filled with awe in verse 43. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. There was holy fear in that church. There was wonder and inspiration. There was a closeness of the transcendent. God and his work and his will was not a theoretical thing that used to happen It was happening, and the people could feel him and sense him and see him, and they could mark this by changed lives and by signs and wonders. Signs and wonders were the acts done through the first church and every church ever since. The very work of Jesus, healings and exorcisms, all miracles are signs of what will happen in the new heavens and the new earth brought into the now. It is a taste, a foretaste of what is to come. All miracles are a sign that God is still active. In the book of Acts here, it starts with the apostles. But then many, many others are gifted beyond them. Stephen, Philip, Ananias, Agabus. And then in the book of Galatians and 1 Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians, more and more, Paul and others talk about the role of these gifts to be expected in each community. But what you could really say is this. This was gift-based ministry. The community knew their gifts and were empowered by the Spirit and they used their gifts. As I've taught so many times before, if you know your spiritual gifts, it is a guaranteed place of power because God decided to give them to you for the furthering of his kingdom. 
There was awe in this church because people were being changed. People were being healed. People who had been demonized their whole life were being set free. People were expectant that God was going to answer prayer, and he was answering prayer. And people that used to hate each other started loving each other. Masters and slaves started treating each other differently. Husbands and wives started reorienting their lives. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, barbarian, all of them came together and started saying, you are my brother. You are my sister. See, that's awe-inspiring when it really happens. This is a movement marked by devotion, a movement marked by awe. And it's a movement marked by action. Every one of us sitting here and watching online knows that a movement has the greatest force and authenticity when it actually does what it says. Wouldn't you agree? It says this in verse 44. All the believers were together. Together. And they had everything in common, and they sold their possessions and goods, and they gave to any person who had need. One of the great evidences of God really working is how we deal with our money. Suddenly we see exceptional acts of generosity. Property, real property that was owned by people was being sold so the needs of this community and those who didn't even belong to the community could be fed or housed or loved or encouraged. This is not a declaration of us selling all of our property. This is not a communal call this morning, okay? We're all going to sell our homes. No. But what you see here is a holy attitude of generosity. It's what Joanna rightly prayed before I got up here. The more a community becomes generous, the more you know God is really on the move. And their generosity, let me say this this morning, was rooted in the Jewish understanding of tithing. Whether you agree with that or not, I'm sorry, it is. In the Old Testament, God called his people to give radically and generously back to him. All the way back in Leviticus 27, this is what God said to his people in that time. He says, a tithe of everything from the land, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy unto the Lord. In other words, you, you don't own it, God says, I do. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he needs to add a fifth of value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, the tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick the good from the bad or make a substitution, because if he makes a substitution, I love this, both the animal and its substitute, they become holy, and they cannot be redeemed. In other words, don't try messing with me. I'm watching, God says. These are the commandments of God. This was the Jewish understanding that everything that was given and made, the first 10%, not the last 10%, the first 10% was given generously to God as an act of worship. And in the book of Acts and all through the New Testament, you see this generous mentality, but actually they go further. Never forget the teaching of Jesus, why it was so radical. Jesus didn't say, well, that was the law and now we have the grace thing and we don't need to pay attention to any of that. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5.17? Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, no, I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. Jesus actually made things more holy and more difficult. He said, you kept saying, well, I get to do what the bare minimum is. No, if you meet me, it's everything. Do you remember Jesus talking about adultery? He says, oh, you know, uh, you think adultery is you have to get in bed with someone. Well, that's true. That's adultery. But if you've looked at someone lustfully while you're walking down the street you've already committed adultery. Do you you remember what what Jesus said about murder? He said, oh, you think it's literally just taking a gun or a knife and taking a life? Oh, no. If you have unresolved bitterness towards someone, you are committing murder. Jesus doesn't come along and say, well, you know, 
giving was back then and now you can give. No, no. He says, this is a grander thing, a more significant thing, a more generous thing. And that's why Paul later got the whole heart of it when he said in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. The undertone of this passage is not, well, I'm going to give a dollar because I feel like it. No, no. It's because God has so transformed your life. You, within everything you have, give as much as you can. You sacrificially give to the things of God. Why? Because you are a cheerful person changed by the presence of God. That's the heartbeat of what you see in Acts chapter 2. You see this idea of deep devotion to the things of God, the guaranteed places of meeting, scripture, the people of God, communion and prayer. You want to meet God regularly? Run to those places. He's there 24-7. It's a place of awe where God is working among the people. Lives are being transformed. Miracles are being done. It's a place where action is taking place, where they are actually giving and they are being involved in each other's lives. It says in verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I always love preaching this part of it. The temple, of course, was still there when this took place. And scholars tell us that so many thousands of people were becoming Christians, there wasn't a big enough place to gather. So they'd go to a place called Solomon's Portico. And 2,000, then 3,000, then 5,000, thousands and thousands of people were meeting together on the temple grounds. And can you imagine it? They were worshiping Yeshua, Jesus by name. Thousands. It was the first megachurch right there. It wasn't in Texas. It was in Jerusalem. And they were meeting together. But they understood big was phenomenal, but small was needed too. And so they got together in each other's homes. And look, they took communion with each other. Do you take communion with each other in your connect groups yet? You should be. They, took, they broke bread with each other and they prayed scriptures together and they got to know each other. And it says that they were marked attitudinally this way. They had glad and sincere hearts. I've preached this passage probably 40 times in my life. I have never, ever caught what I'm about to share with you. Glad and sincere hearts in Greek, basically reads, they were generous. They were generous people. Generous with each other. Generous with forgiveness. Generous to neighbors. Generous to friends. Generous to the society they lived in. And they were generous even to enemies. They were marked by this amazing, amazing thing called holiness. They praised God, verse 47. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily... Not weekly, not monthly, not yearly. Daily, those who are being saved. Don't miss that little part as we near the end. It says that they praised God. We read that quick, but we shouldn't. They were people marked by passionate worship. Passionate worship. The more you worship God, the more you thank him for who he is and what he has done and what he is going to do, the more bitterness and the more this will dissipate in your life. The more you become a person of worship, the more you prepare yourself before you come to church on a Sunday morning or before you go to a connect group, the more generous you will become because you will realize that God is worth our time and our singing and our music and our money because he is so unbelievably amazing. He is love. Can you say amen to that? The more we're marked as people of praise, radical praise, the more we become generous people. They're marked with worship. And interestingly, and most significantly, it says they had favor with not some of the people. They had favor with all the people. 
Now, we know that that didn't last because persecution comes. But in this season of a revival-like experience, here's what's so significant. One famous Anglican scholar named Michael Green wrote these words. He said, just look carefully and see what's really happening. He said, the majority of people did not become Christians because of good preaching. I was very disappointed when I read that. He said, the majority of people in the book of Acts did not become Christians because of miracles and signs and wonders. Here's what actually started happening, which is so important. People were changed. People were deeply changed and didn't act the same anymore. They used their money different. They used their bodies different. They used sex in a different way. They changed the power dynamic in relationships. They started loving people they shouldn't. And as life after life encountered Jesus and got changed, then people would say, you've been so changed because I used to know you. And then, then these miracles would take place. And the, the evidence that God was among them. And then they'd hear the proclamation of the good news and good preaching. And that trifecta brought thousands to Jesus. That is the heartbeat of a real move of God. When lives are not the same like they used to be. And as lives are changed over the long haul. And preaching is honest and authentic. And when miracles and gifts are being used. People will be drawn. It will create a genuine heaven-given awe. And the devotion of the people will go up more and more because we will know that there is a God in our church and we will know there is a God in Durham. That is the heart of Acts chapter 2. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll notice something. It very much is written to community. Think about it. Our entire Christian life, if you are one, Spiritual growth, battling sin, overcoming Satan, serving God, using gifts, feeding the poor. All of it is done in the context of community. Community, whether we're comfortable with it or not, is the foundation of our movement and is the most integral part of our movement. And you know why? Because our faith is a religion that is actually worshiping a God who himself forever is and will be community. Father, Son, and Spirit. We must reflect the God we've encountered It was John Wesley who said so long ago, the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social and knows no holiness except social holiness. See, this this theme for our year, two years ago it was joy, last year it was believe. It's all building like Lego. This is not a new thing. This is not a new discovery. Oh, we're all in this together. How profound in 2,000 years. No one's thought about that. It is obvious. Oh, how we need to be reminded As I was praying for the beginning of this year and praying for this message, I want to end in two directions. And here's the first thing. I have a sense as I've been praying over the summer that there is an attempt against our unity even before we begin as a family this year. And so I'd like to point this out as one of your pastors to see if this is true. As I've been listening and watching and hearing, there seems to be a subtle, not an overt, but a subtle attempt to divide good relationships in this church. They're over small things. They're not big things. But there seems, as I'm walking through the halls of our church and hearing stories, that there seems to be subtle divisions taking place between good friends and committed people. I want to point that out for one reason this morning. The evil one may be involved in your life and you do not know, or your own heart may be going in the wrong direction. I just want to say that if you are actually having tension with other Christians in our church, quickly go and try to resolve this before it gets too late. 
Our mission together is too important to let small things divide us. Do you agree? Be, beware of this. Here's the second thing. In the Old Testament, it says that God detests evil thoughts about others in our own hearts that we never express. I just want to say this morning that if you are actually caring, bearing, if you're almost like pregnant with evil thoughts towards other people in your heart and you're not even expressing them, no one would ever know. God is coming to you this morning through one of his servants and saying, don't let that grow any farther. Ask me to deal with it so you can be clean. Because what we are praying that God would continue to do is more important and more significant and more holy than what you're holding on to. God wants to set you free from this so it doesn't happen anymore. In this passage, here's what we see. We see a movement that is based in relationship. And what I am genuinely saying this morning is this. I feel much has changed in the last three years in this church. I, as a pastor, don't feel like I'm wrestling with this family as much, and even myself, to actually help people believe this is biblical and true and needed. I now stand here saying that this has begun. This is happening. This, this Acts 2 thing is not some theoretical thing that's far away. It's begun among us. And yet I want to say this morning as we begin this year, this church and each one of us needs to make a commitment this morning, a biblical commitment rooted in the scriptures, that our devotion quotient will go up. We've been greatly devoted and it's been growing but I am asking for more people to be more excited about the Word of God this year. I'm asking more of us to make public teaching and private devotions more of a priority than we ever have before. I'm asking our church to keep, commit even more to community in the sense of relationships, whether in connect groups or informally. I'm asking for us to be preparing ourselves when communion is coming, preparing and expecting to meet Jesus at these tables. I'm asking us to even be more devoted to prayer. And if you don't know how to pray, to learn how to pray. And if you've been praying for years, to ask God to inspire you to pray like you used to or pray like you never have before. I'm asking this community to keep praying something. That God's presence would grow more and more and more. That there would be a sense of awe in this church. Awe in your connect group. Awe across this place. Because we know that God is with us. And we're expecting God to move. What we saw in this video that's happening globally is happening here too. But we need to keep asking, oh God, come closer. May awe grow. And then I'm asking us more and more to get serious about action. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, learn what they are and start using them. I'm asking every person in this church to joyfully give with generosity. And if you can't because your finances are not in order, then to get help to get that right so we can become more generous for a world that needs to see authentic, an authentic generosity. I'm asking our church for everyone who's called a Christian in this church to serve. Every single person to serve in our community with our time and our money, because we know that this stuff all lasts. This is a call not to a new thing. This is a call to a biblical thing. This is a call to an ancient thing. This is a call to a supernatural thing. This is a call to something that God is doing globally, and I want to be part of it, and I want this church to be part of it. It really is renewal in the heart, revival across the church, and the begging of God for awakening, where thousands say yes I want to meet this Jesus that they have met and others have met too. This year will be marked by together. Let us not become a joke. 
where we actually are not together, but it's our theme. Let us not become a punchline where it's what we say at church, but it is not true, right? Let it be true. It's like when you have the bumper sticker that says, Jesus loves you, and you honk, and they give you the middle finger. You're confused at that moment, (laughs) right? Let us not be like that in our unity, but let us be genuinely committed. As Nikki and the team come up as we prepare for communion, I want us to enter into a moment of prayer. Actually, the word vow is an appropriate word. Where we as a community, each one of us who are Christians, would commit and pray over devotion and awe and also action together. So if you're willing, and again, like we say, get it in the posture that best represents your heart. If you need to kneel, kneel. If you need to stand, stand. If you need to raise your hands, cover your face. If you need to lay down on the ground, fine. If you need to sit, that's good. But posture yourself. Because again, we need to say to the Lord, we, we really want to do this. So we start this year, Lord, together at C4 Church, and we very readily acknowledge we're only one church out of many. But thank you that you are visiting us uniquely. And here's what we want to pray this morning, uh, boldly and honestly. We want to be all in this together. We want what we read in the scriptures to keep being true here. And so we pray that we'd be a devoted community. Holy Spirit, come and begin to do this among us. Help us to love your word more. Help us, O Lord, to love each other more. Help us, O Lord, to come to communion with expectancy and reminding of what you've done. O Lord, help us to be a devoted community to prayer. Teach this church, mark this church with prayer. You've done it over the last few years. Do it more. Lord, we pray for awe. We really pray, God, that you would come closer and closer. We pray for revival, that the presence of God would be so strong in this building and in our lives that people would know God is with us. Please, O oh Lord, so much skepticism and jaded mentality in the West and in the suburbs can only be broken if you show up. We don't have the power to change people's hearts and minds. It takes your very presence. O oh God, we pray for signs and wonders in this church for, for for real, so people will know that there is a God that is loving and involved, and they see actually what is coming in the new heavens and the new earth. No death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. We pray, O Lord, too, for action. O God, inspire us with our gifts. Help us to serve. Help us to be generous with our money. Rally us together. Remind us that it's beyond us or our personality or preferences, but our greater move of God is at work. And we not only pray this for ourselves, we pray this for the whole church that we just watched on that video around the world. Oh Lord, may every church on earth look like this. May devotion and awe and action mark churches in Durham and churches in Toronto and churches in Canada and churches on every continent around the world. We are so thankful that we live in a time where we get to be with millions of your believers. We're so thankful that thousands are gonna meet you today And you can't be stopped because you are the great I am. And we keep praying, oh Lord, more, more conversions, more salvations, more life change, more radical giving and generosity. Make us different. Help us to look like Jesus. We just ask this in the name of the Father who called us and the Son who loves us so deeply in the name of the Spirit who gives us the ability 
to become like Acts 2. Help us to be together. We ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said genuinely, amen. Let's uh, stand together and prepare. As I've shared in my message, communion is the great symbol of the death and resurrection of Christ. And if you are a Christian, you are welcome to any of these tables. There's two up top. There's three here, two in the back. And you will just come and you will declare your faith in Christ. Maybe you'll confess sin. It says in Scripture you need to do that. It says if you're not a Christian yet, don't take this because you actually do not believe in the one this represents. But I always say this is a great place to say yes to him. And if you are a Christian who's on the run and you refuse to submit to him now, it says don't take this because you make mockery of the one that deeply still loves you. But if you are on the run and you want to come home, come home today here. And as we always do at Come Forward Communion, we also give above and beyond. And so in these little baskets, not the white ones, the other ones, we give out of abundance of what we have so we can help more people uh, physically and emotionally. It helps us give counseling for people. It allows us to help them with bills, food. We pay for people's food that can't afford it this week when we give to this care fund. So give generously as you come forward. But celebrate this. And why don't you do this as each person, as you take communion, declare the biblical truth. I am committed to Jesus and his community. So let's do this together. Lord, bless these elements. Would you meet people at these tables? And Lord, thank you for your death and resurrection. Thank you for hope. Thank you for renewal. Thank you for what you're doing. And we pray you'd keep doing it. We ask this again in Jesus' name who died for our sins. Amen and amen. Amen.